Vishnipad Paramhamsa Parivraja Kacharja Ashtosara Shushimar A.C. Bhakti Vranta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Ananta Kota Vaishnavrinda Ki All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to Shishi Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Namo Vishnipadai Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Bhagyana Timarandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurun Muritam Jainatas Mai Shri Guru Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Butsale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpata rubyasha kripa sindubayevacha patita nam pavanebio vaishnavebio namonamaha. 
I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Vaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakti Vrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shivas Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today is Wednesday, May 20th. In the year 2020, and today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 6, Conversation Between Narada and Vyasadeva, Text 20. Evam yatantam vijane mam ahago charogiram gambira shlakshnaya vacha suchaya prashamayaniva evam thus Yatatam, one who is engaged in attempting, Vijane, in that lonely place, Mam, unto me, Aha, said, Agochara, beyond the range of physical sound, Giram, utterances, Gambira, grave, Shlakshnaya, pleasing to hear, Vacha, words, Sucha, grief, Prashamayan, mitigating, Eva, like. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Seeing my attempts in that lonely place, the personality of Godhead, who is transcendental to all mundane description, spoke to me with gravity and pleasing words, just to mitigate my grief. Purport. In the Vedas, it is said that God is beyond the approach of mundane words and intelligence. And yet, by his causeless mercy, one can have suitable senses to hear him or to speak to him. This is the Lord's inconceivable energy. One upon whom his mercy is bestowed can hear him. The Lord was much pleased with Narada Muni, and therefore the necessary strength was invested in him so that he could hear the Lord. It is not, however, possible for others to perceive directly the touch of the Lord during the probationary stage of regulative devotional service. It was a special gift for Narada. When he heard the pleasing words of the Lord, the feelings of separation were to some extent mitigated. A devotee in love with God feels always the pangs of separation and is therefore always enwrapped in transcendental ecstasy. So today, in today's purport, Prabhupada addresses intelligence, Krishna's mercy, separation, and then we'll discuss further on these concepts, as well as how they play a role in our everyday lives. So the verse states that the personality of Godhead, who is transcendental to all mundane description. And in the purport, Srila Prabhupada clarifies this as God is beyond the approach of mundane words and intelligence. So what is intelligence? If we look it up, it says the, the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. So it's not just about acquiring knowledge and studying something, but it's also applying it. You know, we've heard this saying, knowing is half the battle. And 
ever since I was a child and hearing that, I think it was part of G.I. Joe cartoons. Um, it would be like knowing is half the battle. And I always wondered, what's the other half of the battle? Well, actually, the other half of the battle is applying that knowledge. So having the knowledge is good, but then you also want to apply it. And intelligence, um, one who is intelligence has intelligence and at a high level, and it has this ability to uh, um, gain knowledge and apply it. I've also heard in um, some of my personal development um, courses or books, they have this phrase that says, don't be an ask hole, A-S-K. And what that refers to is a lot of times people will um, find a mentor or somebody who's a little bit more um, or successful in the field that they want to enter in, and they'll ask them a bunch of questions and get a bunch of knowledge, but they never do anything with it. And really, that's a waste of the um, person that's being questioned's time as well as the person who's getting all the knowledge because you really want to apply that knowledge. Otherwise, it's not really useful. You just have it. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says in 710, he says, I am the intelligence of the intelligent. So this ability to um, gain knowledge and apply it actually comes from Krishna. It, you know, we don't have this ability without Krishna's mercy. In 729, Krishna says, Intelligent persons who are endeavoring for liberation from old age and death take refuge in me in devotional service. They are actually Brahman because they entirely know everything about transcendental activities. So here he's saying that an intelligent person seeks liberation and performs devotional service. They are self-realized and According to Krishna, intelligent means self-realized, someone who is knowledgeable in transcendental activities and takes this knowledge and um, uses it to perform devotional service. In the purport of Bhagavad Gita, um, chapter 15, text 20, Srila Prabhupada says, everyone must take to this consciousness of Krishna and engage in devotional service to become intelligent and purified. Unless one comes to this position of understanding Krishna and engages in devotional service, however intelligent they may be in the estimation of some common person, they are not perfectly intelligent. So Prabhupada is reiterating this point that it doesn't matter if one is a scholar of so many subjects um, and is considered highly intelligent on a mundane level. If they don't use this knowledge to realize who they are to perform devotional service, this intelligence is useless. It's it's not perfect. And furthermore, in Bhagavad Gita 18.16, Krishna says, Therefore, one who thinks himself or one who thinks himself the only doer, not considering the five factors, is certainly not very intelligent and cannot see things as they are. In 1814, we learn what the five factors are of action, and they are the place of action, which is the body, the performer, the soul, the various senses, the many different kinds of endeavor, and ultimately the super soul. So when a person thinks themselves as the only doer, they only take into consideration the first four factors, and they don't 
allow for the fifth factor, which is ultimately the super soul, which is where all the action is coming from. Krishna is the, really the only doer. He is the controller, and everything acts and happens according to him. So when we, when a person has all this knowledge, but they don't use it in, er, in order to realize that Krishna is the actual controller, this knowledge is not really useful. In Bhagavad Gita 2.52, Krishna says, when your intelligence has passed out of the dense forest of illusion, delusion, you shall become indifferent to all that has been heard and all that is to be heard. I like this um, imagery of dense forest of delusion. So we can see that when we're when we disregard Krishna and we think ourselves the doer and the controller, we're in the dense forest of delusion. And when we come out of that, when we can get through that forest um, and we have intelligence, right? We have this knowledge that, oh, wait, Krishna exists and he's actually the controller. Then we can become indifferent to all that has been heard and all that is to be heard, which means that we don't get affected by the material energies anymore. In 265 and 266, Krishna says, For one thus satisfied in Krishna consciousness, the threefold miseries of material existence no, exist no longer. In such satisfied consciousness, one's intelligence is soon well established. One who is not connected with the Supreme in Krishna consciousness can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind, without which there is no possibility of peace. And how can there be any happiness without peace? So when we have intelligence, we begin this process of detangling ourselves from material desires, which only leads to miseries. We start to become satisfied from within. Our material desires slowly transform to spiritual desires. And as we gain intelligence, we have a steady mind, which leads to peace, which leads to happiness. So... The idea here is that we we want to start acknowledging that we are servants of Krishna. And in that acknowledgement, we want to make sure that we're doing devotional service, applying that knowledge. Krishna says in the, I mean, Prabhupada says in the purport of today's verse, he says, It is not, however, possible for others to perceive directly the touch of the Lord during the probationary stage of regulative devotional service. And that's where many of us fall, is this probationary stage of regulative devotional service. We've started on this path of Krishna consciousness where we finally acknowledge that Krishna exists, and now we're learning how to apply that knowledge. And it's an everyday battle. Um, Every day we have to make that decision that we're going to stay turned toward Krishna and not engage in maya. And it's not just every day, it's almost like every hour, every minute we have to make these decisions. So, um, there are ways that we can do that. Um, you know, of course, always remember Krishna, never forget him, so we have to engage in devotional service that way. And I think last week we talked a little bit more about the different 
stages of devotees and where we fall in that stage. But, you know, even in this neophyte stage where, you know, we, we obviously are in this probationary period, as Prabhupada calls it, so we don't get to directly hear Krishna. But, you know, I found in my life that any time I had any kind of dilemma or any kind of question, if I stand in front of the, de- the deities and if I stand in front of Radha Kalashanji with a sincere and open heart and just surrender myself and say, okay, what do you want me to do about this problem? How can I fix this problem? Krishna answers, you know, Kalachanji answers that. And sometimes it has, you know, it's almost like I can hear a voice in my head or sometimes it's like different signs. And I think I've mentioned this before where like, you know, sometimes I think, oh no, that was really not me. That was, that was just in my head. And so Krishna always makes sure that he tells me in several different ways. Like, you know, somebody else might say the same exact thing or I might listen to a a lecture by my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami, and he says the same exact thing in the moment I tune in to hear that particular lecture. So Krishna has a way of communicating with us. You know, he's the super soul in our heart. So even though we are on this uh, probationary stage, he still is very merciful and still um, communicates with us. In 421, a person of understanding acts with mind and intelligence perfectly controlled, gives up all sense of proprietorship over their possessions, and acts only for the bare necessities of life. Thus working, one is not affected by sinful reactions. In Bhagavad Gita 522, it says, An intelligent person does not take part in the sources of misery, which are due to contact with the material senses. Such pleasures have a beginning and an end, and so the wise person does not delight in them. In 418, one says inaction, one sees inaction in action, and action in inaction is intelligent among people. And one is in the transcendental position, although engaged in all sorts of activities. And again, Krishna reiterates this point in Bhagavad Gita 1810. He says the intelligent renouncer situated in the mode of goodness, neither hateful of inauspicious work nor attached to auspicious work has no doubts about work so these verses are describing the qualities of one who has pure intelligence they give up ownership of possessions and this includes results of their activities right they perform their duties but they don't they're not attached to a certain result they realize that krishna is in charge of the results and our duty is only to do our duty Acts only for what is needed for the bare necessities of life. So there's no over-endeavoring. You know, we take, we only do as much necessary to maintain our um, bodies, maintain our homes, maintain our families. So the bare necessities of life. And a side note on this is that what's bare necessities for one person, person can be opulent for another person. Um, and so these bare necessities are based, you know, they're, they vary person to person. And, you know, just because somebody has more than I have, that doesn't mean that they're not living according to their bare necessities. For instance, I'm a single person. Um, I don't have any kids. I don't, you know, I don't have any family responsibilities. So my bare necessities are going to be a lot less than if 
There's somebody who has two kids and a husband and maybe their um, mother-in-law or, you know, somebody to take care of in addition to that. Their bare necessities is going to be a little bit more because they have a lot more people to provide for. Also, if you have some medical conditions, right, your bare necessities may be even more. Like, it may be difficult on your joints to sleep on the floor, so you may need a softer bed um, cushion to help alleviate some of that pain so that you're not in pain and you can do your service. Those are all considered bare necessities. They avoid the sources of misery. So this is a key point. An intelligent person knows exactly what is the source of misery, which is material pleasures, because these pleasures are temporary. And they realize that there's no pleasure to be found in this temporary um, material condition. So even though something may seem good or something may seem bad, they realize this too shall pass and there's no real reason to invest um, emotionally in these kind of temporary pleasures. So they determine what's really going on internally despite whatever outward action or inaction. Right, A person can be sitting and meditating and they can appear to be very devout and, um, you know, thinking about Krishna. But inside their mind, it could be racing and thinking about, oh, I have this to do and how can I make money? And, you know, maybe they're like, oh, when will I find a husband? When will I find a wife? So you don't know what's going on inside their mind. Whereas a person who's working, you know, um, working really hard and farming or whatever it is that they're doing they can actually be fully engaged in remembering Krishna and whatever activities that they're doing. So it might look like one is not, you know, one's just meditating and looks like he's, they might be, um, in, you know, completely absorbed in Krishna, but they're not. And the other one looks like they are working and may not be absorbed in Krishna, but their mind is fully engaged in thinking about Krishna. There's actually a story I read. Um, I'm going to try to see if I can remember it. I think Vishnu asked Narada Muni, who is the best devotee? And of course, Narada, you know, being a little um, puffed up in that moment, thinks, I am. And, Krishna, and Vishnu says, no, it's actually this one, go visit this one farmer and see how he is. He's actually a, a pure devotee of mine. So Narada goes to see this farmer, and he just sees that his this farmer takes care of his wife and kids, and he goes and he tills the land, and, you know, all day he's working, right? So the next day he goes and he actually goes to talk to him, and he finds that all day as he's working, he, this guy's engaged in chanting Krishna's glories. He's sitting there chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And Narada Muni understood that, you know, although it looked like he's just working and maintaining his family, the entire time he, he's doing all of his activities, he's fully absorbed in um, Krishna and thinking about Krishna and remembering him. An intelligent person is not attached to work that may outwardly appear auspicious, nor detached to work that may appear inauspicious. So they realize that no matter what it is, it's the idea of doing your duty and engaging in Krishna consciousness while doing your duty. 
In Bhagavad Gita 7.25, Krishna says, I am never manifest to the foolish and unintelligent. For them I am covered by my internal potency, and therefore they do not know that I am unborn and infallible. So for those who have not engaged in devotional service, they remain foolish and unintelligent, and Krishna does not manifest himself to them. They don't know him. At the same time, and Krishna, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 9.29, I envy no one, nor am I partial to anyone. I am equal to all, but whoever renders service unto me in devotion is a friend, is in me, and I'm also a friend to them. So Krishna is equal to everyone. And when we render devotional service unto him, he pays a little bit more attention to us. This um, knowledge is available to everyone. There's no barrier. Everyone has access to it. It's just a matter of who's going to apply that knowledge, who's going to believe that knowledge. And whoever does start to apply knowledge, that's who Krishna reciprocates with. And if anybody, it doesn't matter what, form, um, you know, where they come from, where they've been, what they've done. If anybody starts to engage in that devotional service, Krishna starts to reciprocate with them equally. So that brings us to Prabhupada's second point in the purport, which is Krishna's mercy. Today's verse continues with, Krishna spoke to me with gravity and pleasing words. And Srila Prabhupada in the purport clarifies, one upon whom his mercy is bestowed can hear him. In Bhagavad Gita 10.10 it says, To those who are constantly devoted to serving me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. And 10.11 he continues to say, To show them special mercy, I, dwelling in their hearts, destroy with the shining lamp of knowledge the darkness born of ignorance. So Krishna is saying here that if you're devoted to me, I will give you all the knowledge and understanding that you need so that you can continue to apply that knowledge in devotional service. And I will destroy the ignorance, right? So he'll shine a light, and so it destroys that darkness that's in our heart. So not only does he give us the intelligence to understand these concepts of who he is, what his position is, but he also gives us the mercy to, you know, delve even deeper, to keep coming to that knowledge. And everything that we do, Krishna reciprocates tenfold. He is the source and recipient of our bhakti devotion. So he sits there and he fans that spark of bhakti for us. You know, we'll do a little bit of service and he just fans that that spark until it becomes a big flame, you know, and he continues to, to engage with us like that. And the final point is separation. So in the verse it says, seeing my attempts in that lonely place, and then it goes on to say, just to mitigate my grief. And Srila Prabhupada um, states in the purport, the feelings of separation were to some extent mitigated. A devotee in love with God feels always the pangs of separation and is therefore always enwrapped in transcendental ecstasy. This service and separation is a major concept in bhakti yoga, in the yoga of devotional service. 
And we have so many examples of service and separation um, for us, right? We talk about Radharani and the gopis. They feel it whenever Krishna leaves their presence. And if we think about um, Lord Ramachandra, his parents feel separation when Lord Ram is banished to the forest. Sita, she feels separation from Lord Ram when Ravana kidnaps her and also later when she gets banished. And, you know, many, many disciples of Srila Prabhupada definitely feel separation from him after he left uh, the earth. And if your guru has left the earth, you also understand this levels of separation, not just for, you know, disciples, like for me. I definitely feel separation from my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami. But I also see that his god brothers and god sisters feel separation from him as well. So we can see that any relationship that we have, we can feel separation when they're no longer there. And Lord Chaitanya describes this mood of separation perfectly. In the Shikshastakam, he says, O Govinda, feeling your separation, I am considering a moment to be like 12 years or more. So when we're, when we're separated from our beloved, from our loved ones, you know, just a single second can feel like a lifetime because that's how painful it is to be separated from them. Tears are flowing from my eyes like torrents of rain, and I'm feeling all vacant in the world in your absence. So Lord Chaitanya is describing this longing, this vacant feeling, and this is in some ways considered the highest form of love. Because when we're in separation with who you know, whoever we love, we're constantly thinking of them. We're constantly thinking of, oh, when will they come back? What will we do? How will we, what will, how will we hang out? What can I make for them? What can I do for them? What gifts can I buy for them? So we're always thinking about how to please the person that we're separated from. We have a saying that says, absence makes the heart grow, grow fonder. And in a way that's true, right? So my mom currently, um, during this pandemic, uh, lockdown, She's been stuck in India. She she originally went in February, and she was supposed to stay for six weeks and was going to come back at the end of March. And then her flight got canceled and extended to um, May 5th. She was supposed to come, but then her flight got canceled again, and now she's supposed to come June 8th. And even though sometimes, you know, I can argue a lot with my mom during this time that she's... For, you know, she's gone for more than I expected her to be. I really miss her a lot more than I would have normally. Like, just knowing that she's far away and that she's away from her own home. And, you know, so I keep thinking, like, what will I do when she comes back? What will I get for her? It's there. I mean, it's, I can definitely um, relate to this absence makes the heart grow fonder. But we also have another saying that says, out of sight, out of mind. And those without true intelligence who have not yet engaged in Krishna consciousness, and maybe many of us who are just beginning this path and haven't really tasted the true nectar of pure love of God, also feel this vacancy, this emptiness. So we try to fill this vacancy, this empty feeling that we have from being separated from Krishna to with material pleasures. 
which are temporary. So when they end, we start to feel that emptiness again. And so then that makes us want to seek more material pleasures. And then we just kind of get entangled in trying to please our senses because we're really missing that connection to Krishna. That's what's, that's really the source of our true lonely, empty feeling is missing Krishna. So when we're going through the cycle of material pleasure, it goes away, we seek something more, and then we there's a point where we think there's got to be more to life than this. You know, this constant roller coaster of chasing um, some sort of pleasure and then feeling disappointment and pleasure. There's got to be something more than that. And when we have that thought, that's when Krishna arranges for us to acquire knowledge, whether it's we come into contact with the devotees, we come into contact with um, one of Srila Prabhupada's books. Um, somewhere or another, he arranges for this knowledge to come to us because we are all of a sudden ready for it. And the more we engage with it, the more we start to apply it, we start to practice devotional service, the more Krishna gives us the strength to stay engaged. So as we know, the the process of devotional service, you know, there's the ninefold process, um, hearing, chanting. So we'll, we'll just kind of sum it up with hearing, chanting, um, taking prasadam, associating with devotees, reading Krishna's, reading Srila Prabhupada's books, taking shelter of a guru, deity worship, um, and of course chanting japa. All of that starts to engage our devotional service. But the most important thing is chanting japa. And I've said this before, and I'll say I think it's important, you know, for me to repeat, I guess, really for myself, is that all these other processes of devotional service are to benefit our japa, to improve our japa. Because when we chant, so japa is mantra meditation in which we chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, on beads. And when we chant like that, we really want to focus on the mantra that we're chanting. You know, we want to focus on that particular Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. But many times we think, oh, wow, I just started. I have 16 more rounds left and I've got this to do and I've got that to do. Or, you know, we get on our phone. But if we can just focus on that one mantra, don't worry about the mantra before it. Don't worry about the mantra coming up next. It Just focus on that one mantra. And when that mantra is done, you focus on the next mantra, which is the current mantra. And you keep doing that until you've finished all 108 mantras, which is one round, and you've done one round. And sometimes that can take a lot of energy to focus and and be intentional like that. So if it's hard, it takes longer, you know, and you've made the vow to chant 16 rounds, I mean, I would say start with doing one round like that. Just focus in on making sure that you, on one round, you chant and focus with on each ma- mantra as you're chanting it. And then maybe you do that for a couple of weeks. And after two weeks, you do that for two rounds. And, you know, the rest of the time you're still chanting your other rounds, but it might be not as engaged however you're currently chanting it. Maybe you chant them while driving. Maybe you chant them while Facebooking. But just make the point of doing one round and then two weeks later 
two rounds, and then another two weeks, three rounds. And if you do it like that, at the end of eight months, you'll be engaged with all 16 rounds if you start to increase it slowly, slowly. Even if you took a little bit longer, maybe at the end of a year, you're focusing on all 16 rounds very intently like that. Which, you know, it's slow. it seems like slow progress. And sometimes our mind is like, oh, we should just do this, we should do that, and we kind of should all over ourselves. And really it's about gradually taking to this process, right? Gradually, with determination and faith, we increase our meditation. So, you know, I think about if I started to chant my rounds like that when I started chanting 25 years ago, where would I be, right? Instead, I think, oh, I'm going to do all 16 rounds. And then, you know, maybe that lasts for a week and then I kind of drop off, right? So, but if it's like we slowly engage and we slowly develop the habit and we develop that taste for it, then it's easier to maintain it. So that's where, you know, I'm focusing on like how to do, to slowly increase my intention and engagement and part of that is, you know, when you're chanting your rounds, you can think to Krishna, please engage me in your service. Um, take away any entanglements which would lead me astray from your service and leave any, you know, entanglements that would further engage me in your service. So really, like, our mood when we're chanting japa can be that, you know, we just... We're calling out to Krishna to engage us in his service, whatever that service may be. And he can reveal that, you know, when if, when he feels the time is right, that we're ready to hear what our service is. But our service is, no matter what, to chant Krishna's glories like that. That's our time with Krishna. It's our one-on-one time with Krishna, right? Sometimes we have to make appointments with, you know, very important people in order to meet with them, right? Like a... Um, I was just talking to a friend of mine, and we were trying to figure out what time to talk. And we have to like, oh, what time are you free? What time are you, you know, we have to kind of schedule a time that we can talk. Well, Krishna's available to us 24-7 according to our schedule. We just have to schedule it. We don't even have to ask him, Krishna, are you free at this time? Because he's always going to be free for us. We just have to say, okay, from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. or you know, 6 to 8 a.m. or 6 to 8 p.m., I'm scheduling to spend time with Krishna with my japa, with my mantra meditation. And then we can really deepen our relationship with him. There are also other tips and tricks that we can use to engage our mind in focusing on the mantra, but that's not really, I guess, um what we're talking about today. So I just wanted to note, let you know that that's one way is just to focus on that particular mantra that you're chanting. And then also realize that when you're chanting, you are actually talking to Krishna. That is your time with Krishna. He is available to us anytime. You know, it's like we don't have to make sure he's free. He's, he's, he's available to us 24-7. So that is um, all I have for today. Hopefully um, you gain something from this. And I know I know I need to gain something from this because they say when you give class, the person that needs to hear most what you're speaking is yourself. So it's definitely me.
All right. Hare Krishna. Dhanantara Shrimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.